Well, good morning, everyone. I have to tell you, I love coming home. It is so good to be back with you today. I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for the opportunity that you gave Kathy and I to sort of pull away for a little while. We needed that. It was a good thing. It was the right thing. And I'm so grateful that you gave us the privilege. But I will tell you that every day that we are away, we miss you. We love this church and it is so good to be back home. I wanna welcome all of you that are watching online right now. I'm so grateful that you are a part of this service. Thank you for joining us. I can't see you, but I can imagine you in your living rooms and dens and wherever you are. I'm so grateful that you're a part of the service today. And for everybody on all four campuses that are here in person, you are so good looking. I am so grateful that you're here and so thankful that you are a part of the service as well. I wanna tell you something happened in the Hartman home in June that changed the trajectory of our family and I guess forever for the very good in our life. I think many of you already know that Kathy and I have two now adult sons, Jonathan, Matthew, and they are doing so amazingly great. Matthew is our oldest son, and he and his wife, Shara, who is, we consider our daughter, they are, and their family, are a part of Sugar Creek, and they are a part of the Richmond Rosenberg campus, and yay God for Richmond Rosenberg. They have four naturally born children. The oldest, our oldest grandchild, is Jude, who is not quite 13, but dangerously close. Just within a matter of weeks, he will be 13 years of age and I can hardly believe it. And then sweet, beautiful Emily is 11 years old and Benjamin is eight years old and Jack, what is his middle name? Mark, Jack Mark is six years of age. And we love them. Outside of Jesus, they are the joy and the love of Kathy and Mai's heart. Two years ago, God began to move in Matt and Shara's life about the possibility of adopting a child. And over the course of the last two years, as they have sort of been working through all of this, the will of God, the heart of God, of what he wants them to do, in the process of that, they had come to a conclusion that not only does God wanting them to adopt a child, but adopt all the siblings of that child. They knew that God was leading them to adopt children from Columbia, and in June, they adopt, adopted four children to join their family, all of whom are siblings, and all of whom are from Columbia. The oldest is Mariana. Isn't that a beautiful name, Mariana? And she is 12 years of age. Carlos Andres is nine years old. Hieronimo is seven, almost seven years of age. It'll be in a few more days, he'll be seven years old. And sweet, beautiful little Sharif, she's four years of age and she's already stolen Poppy's heart. By the way, my second name is Poppy. 
And they arrived from Colombia in the beginning of July. And so the way God all orchestrated it, it gave Kathy and I an opportunity to have extended time with all of our grandchildren, quality time and quantity time with all eight of our grandchildren, but also to be able to bond with the, the four newest grandchildren and oh my soul, we have fallen in love with them. It is as though they have always been with us. And it is just the most amazing thing as God has brought our hearts together. Now, what has then happened in Matt and Shara's home is simply this. They have a son who is almost 13, then 12, 11, 9, 8, 7, 6, and 4. Life has dramatically changed in the Hartman home. And it's going to be amazing to see what God does with all of this. One day when it's the right moment, I, I'm hoping, I would love to have Matt and Shara sort of share a little bit of their story and what God has done in their life because the truth is God is, has used all of this to deepen their understanding of the voice of God and the obedience of God. And it has been a great journey and the journey has just begun. And then on top of all of this, in the month of July, we got the opportunity of seeing Benjamin, who is eight, be baptized at the Richmond Rosenberg campus. We saw our son baptize his son in July. So it made July such a great, great month. This morning, we're beginning a new series entitled, Because He Lives. It's a song that we've been singing together for, what, decades? And the first message in the series is, Because He Lives, you and I and we can face tomorrow. When we see all of the people that we see on all of the college campuses and cities around uh, the, this country demonstrating and protesting because of governmental policies, and we see the racial divide that separates so many in this country, it breaks our heart. All of us are affected all of us hurt because of it. And when we see nuclear enemies that are threatening this country all over the world who are zoning in on America and want to see America be destroyed, and we see two political parties who are so angry with each other, almost hatred toward each other, sometimes not even able to look at each other, much less govern the country together. We look at that and say, my soul, what is happening in our country? And then when we see these stories and these pictures of individuals all over the country who are fighting with each other, angry with each other, and hardly able to say a civil word to each other as they deal with issues that matter in our life, we begin to think, my soul, Lord, is this country falling apart at its seams? And maybe you think I'm describing... August 2021, but actually everything I've just said to you is exactly what happened in August of 1971. 50 years ago. Everything I've just described is as exactly the way the world was, the country was in 1971, 50 years ago. Yeah, I was alive 50 years ago, but I was just a baby at the time. And even though I was just a baby at the time, I was a very smart baby, and I was able to see everything that was going on. 
And I found myself distressed. There was a sense, a mood of something desperately wrong in our nation. I've had so many people in this church over the course of the last 12 months that have said to me that were alive 50 years ago have said to me, it just seems like our country is falling apart at the seams. What do you, what do you think about this? And I've said to them, look, this is just deja vu. This isn't our first rodeo. We've been through this before. And if there's anything that we have learned and the process of it is that God will use this hopefully to make us better, but whatever we do, don't despair. By the way, do you know when that song was written, Because He Lives? In 1971. 1971, a young couple in the ministry, Bill and Gloria Gaither, were just starting out in ministry. And they saw all that was happening in their lives and in, and in the country and they, they were really in despair. And they called out to God and said, oh God, what is happening in our world? What is happening in our country? What do we do? How do we interpret this? And they in their own story said that God just brought a peace and a calm in their heart. And it was as though these words came right from the mouth of God, the lyrics and the tune of because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know who holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. What is that song communicating to us? What is it trying to say? The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed the trajectory of human history. And it is designed to change the trajectory of your life. I know we talk about on Easter Sunday the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in this church we talk about it and a whole lot other times as well. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ was intended to be such a powerful event in our lives that it becomes the filter by which we understand whatever is happening in our life. Whatever circumstances that we're experiencing are filtered through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whatever fears that we are going through is to be filtered through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even how we see ourselves is to be understood through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a religion, it is a way of life a relationship that was given birth because the God of the universe sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth who took on human flesh, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and on the third day rose again, literally, physically, out of that grave. And when he did that, he changed everything because he lives. I can face tomorrow and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Why is that? Why is it that the resurrection of Jesus Christ can help you and I, can cause you and I, when we filter our life through it, to see the circumstances of our life differently, to see the fears that we are experiencing in a whole different way, to see even ourselves differently? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ really accomplished or demonstrated 
three particular things about Jesus Christ. It validated three things about Jesus. First of all, it demonstrated that Jesus is who he claimed to be. It is such a critical thing to grab hold of. He is who he claimed to be. The Bible says in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live though he dies. And then the next verse is simply this, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus made the most outrageous claims if you think about it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the savior of the world. In John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The key word of the verse is the word the, the definite article the. Because Jesus is saying, I'm not a way. I'm not a truth. I'm not a life. I am the one and only way. I am the one and only truth. There is no truth outside of me. I am the one and only life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I know. I mean, I hear it all the time too. I even hear Christians say, say this from time to time, and I'm amazed when I hear it, that all religions somehow have a pathway to God. And I know the reason that people think that. I know the way, reason they say it. This is something we learn in school. It's something that, that we learn in culture. It's something that we, we learn on the internet. Everybody is saying that. And the reason that that is perpetrated because we live in a country that has all these religions in it. And the last thing we need as a country is to have religious wars. So the best way to just say it is, hey, let's all get along because all of us have some legitimate pathway to God. I understand the motivation. And you know, the truth is we need to treat each other with love and kindness and consideration. People that think differently, people from a different religion, we need to be loving and kind toward that person. That is true. But you don't throw away truth in the midst of it. You don't throw away truth just to get along. The truth is, there's only one way to God, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. And if that is not true, then Jesus is not the son of God, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I think those who have been around Christianity for a while understand this idea, because the Bible itself says it. That if you want to destroy Christianity, you can do it quite easily. Just prove that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a hoax. Just prove it was a made up story. Just prove that it was wishful thinking. Because if there's no resurrection, there is no Christianity. It's just nice words. It's just moralistic talk. But there is no Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And so for the last 2,000 years, people that have been enemies of God and enemies of Christianity in particular, those have, have tried their best knowing, understanding, the Bible even saying, admitting, you, you disprove the resurrection and all of Christianity comes down like a house of cards. And they have tried their best. Every argument you can imagine, all logic put to the test to try to, try to un, uh, uh, tie Christianity from the resurrection, just a hoax. It's just a nice story, but it has never been successful because all the evidence points to the resurrection, not away from it. And so that is exactly what atheist Lee Strobel tried to do. Lee Strobel, a brilliant guy. Lee Strobel was a, an investigative reporter for Chicago Tribune and, and uh, he was an atheist and glad he was. But one day his whole world came apart. His wife accepted Christ as her savior. And he was devastated by it. This is a tragedy, this is terrible. And he, he felt like I gotta rescue my wife. And as he began to, to, to ask questions, began to learn more about Christianity, he came to the realization that all of it is built upon one thing, destroy that one thing. And you have destroyed Christianity. I gotta, I gotta save my wife from Christianity. And he put every bit of his talents and abilities to study, to understand what were the issues about the resurrection, what were the arguments against the resurrection. And he, as like an investigative reporter, using scientific method, went one point after another after another, went to every expert you can imagine. It's amazing what he did trying his best to demonstrate that the evidence is not for the resurrection, it's against the resurrection. And by the time he got to the end, to his shock, he accepted Jesus Christ as his savior based upon the evidence, not faith, based upon the evidence and put all that he had learned, all that his research had discovered into a book called The Case for Christ. I'm telling you this, if you ever read the, the book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, if you ever read that book, you'll never doubt the resurrection for the rest of your life. And some of you are thinking right now, good grief, you've been gone a long time, but not this long. Do you think this is Easter Sunday, Mark Hartman? <laughs> and the answer is yes. Yes, I do. Because I think every day is Easter Sunday. It was what God intended. He intended that this be such a powerful event in our life that it becomes the filter by which all of life is understood. All of the circumstances that we experience. All of the fears and the struggles that we go through and even an understanding of ourselves comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what happened on this day in this event, it demonstrated that everything Jesus had said about God, everything that he had said about himself, everything that he had said about us, everything he said about salvation is absolutely true. If a person dies and they rise again, that's the evidence that what they said was right. But it's not just that. It also demonstrates that Jesus has the power that he claimed to have. 
The Bible says, Jesus speaking, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, after the resurrection took place, there he is in front of his disciples, a resurrected Christ. And he stands there just before he ascends to heaven and he says to his disciples, all power on earth and in heaven has been given to me. In other words, all the power of the universe is mine. Him standing there, a resurrected Christ, demonstrated that what he said is actually true. He had said before he died, before the resurrection, in John chapter 10 and verse 18, nobody takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. Jesus was saying, nobody can take my life. But I've actually come to lay my life down, and he did. And the Roman soldiers took him and flogged him and beat him to the edge of his life and then nailed him on the cross. And then they took him down off of that cross and it was laid in the tomb and a huge boulder put in the front of that tomb and the soldiers placed the seal of Caesar on that stone and stood there, guarded that place for three days. Why? Because the rumor was, what Jesus had said is three days later, I will rise from the dead. And they were there to say, no, you won't. But on the third day, Jesus came out of that grave and there was nothing that the, that the soldiers could do but run for their lives. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proved that Jesus had the power that he said he did and he has now focused that power on your life. This is what was intended for us to understand that that resurrection has now been, that power has been focused on your life because he lives, you can face tomorrow. There's a third thing that it shows and that is that Jesus does what he promises to do. In Mark chapter 10, verse 34, they will mock and flog and kill me and after three days I will come back to life. The point is simply this. If Jesus makes this promise and is good on this promise, which he was, all the other 7,000 promises of God that has been directed to us are absolutely true as well. Put the whole thing together. The resurrection demonstrates Jesus is who he says he is. He has the power that he said he has. He fulfills the promises that he has given you and me. Now, how does that impact our lives? Jesus' resurrection gives us the power of new beginnings. The power of new beginnings. With Christ, you can start over again. Failure is never final. Haven't there been times in your life, quite honestly, you've gotten halfway through a project and you wish you could just start over again? After all the stuff I've screwed up, I would love just to start over again. Hasn't it been times in your marriage in which halfway through you just feel like if only I could start this marriage over again. After all the messes I've made, all the terrible choices I've made, all the things I've said and done, if only I could just start this marriage again. 
And haven't there been times in your life that you wish, I could just wish I had a pause button, a stop button, a rewind button of my life, and I could rewind my life and start over again. The Bible says that that is actually ours. Listen to how he puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Those who become Christians become new persons. They're not the same anymore, for the old life is gone. A new life has begun. And I know, maybe you're saying, yeah, but that's for someone who just comes to know Christ as Savior. But I've known Jesus as my Savior. And even as a Christian, I have made terrible decisions and terrible choices, and I've screwed so many things up. No, this promise is for all of us, for every year of our life, every day of our life. You and I can come come back to God, separated to him because of decisions we've made. We can come back to him and humble our heart and yield our pride and our arrogance and our stubbornness and yield ourselves afresh to him and he renews our heart, our life. He begins again. He begins a freshness, a fresh work in our life. It means that we come back to him and we yield ourselves to him. Oh God, you've come to live inside my heart. I have so messed up. I have so taken your hands off my life. Oh God, I want you to be in the middle of my life again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is your promise. And he says to you, I will. Yield yourself to me and I will change your life. This whole idea in Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, no matter how deep the stain of your sins. But Mark, you don't understand what I have done. No, no, no matter how deep the stains of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you are stained as red as crimson, I can make you as white as wool. The story of one of the the men at the Darrington prison that we've come to know, I'm not gonna share his name obviously, but he shared his story. He explained that he's been in Darrington 18 years, maximum security prison, 18 years. Because he said, I grew up without a dad in a terrible neighborhood. I made horrible decisions. Ran around with the wrong people, made the wrong decisions, and I was caught for doing what I did. And he said, one day, someone at Darrington explained to me that I could come to know Jesus and that God could forgive me and change my life. And he said these words, he said, I prayed to receive Christ and immediately came a new sense of release and forgiveness in my life. And for the first time, I was free from the guilt I had carried all these years. As I've studied the Bible and I've grown in my walk with the Lord, I've come to realize that I am a new creation and that my life has been changed for all eternity. It's changed everything for me and given me a deep compassion for others around me who need what God has done for me. 
God is so good. Not just for this man, but the promise is for you and me, for us, wherever we are in the journey, whatever we have done in the journey, God says, I can forgive you, I can cleanse you, I can give you a new beginning. And this is the idea of Isaiah 43, verse 19. Watch the new thing I'm gonna do in your life. And I'm gonna tell you this, I totally believe that those of you who are watching me right now online are not here listening to this message by accident. And those who are, are listening to my voice in person on all of our campuses, it is not by accident that you're here. It is a divine appointment. God wanted you to hear this message today and say to you, there is a resurrected Jesus Christ. And you can know this Jesus. He'll come to live inside of your heart and he can give you a new start. He can give you a new beginning. He can give your marriage a new beginning. But we are Christians already and look at the mess that we're in. No, but you can come to him and repent in your heart and turn your heart back and this time listen to him and follow what he tells you to do. There can be a day of new beginnings for you. And that is part of what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is about. Part of what the resurrection of Christ is about is that it empowers our present to be successful. Jesus is saying, you can do this. And the reason that so many people don't go back to him, even those who know Christ as Savior, don't come back in full repentance in their heart is because they're convinced, I can't do this. I can't save this marriage. I can't save this life. I, I can't go back. I can't start again. I don't have the power to do it. Oh, but you do. The very moment you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And you have resident in you the power of God. The Bible isn't a rule book. It's a life book. And God says that if you and I, any time in our life, will finally come and, 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 and yield ourselves and, and stop the resistance with God and the resistance against the Holy Spirit, and we will come and say, oh God, I just need you. I am here. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. That God will begin to show you step by step through his word of how to live your life in the most powerful way, in the most successful way. It's not a rule book, it's a life book. It shows us this is the right path to go. And if you've gotten off the path, this is, this is how you got off the path. This is how you can get back on the path. And this is the way you can live your life. He gives us the power to do it. This is what 1 Timothy 3.16 is saying. The whole Bible has been given to us as an inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives and straighten us out and help us to do what is right. Ephesians 1 verse 19 and 20 says it this way. How incredibly great is his power to help those who believe him that's you, to help you. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. 
He can give you the power you need now in your life today. And there's one last thing. Jesus' resurrection allows us to face tomorrow with confidence instead of fear. You remember the story after the crucifixion of Jesus and the disciples saw what had happened to him. They could hardly believe it, even though he told them that it was going to happen over and over before it did. But when it happened, they just fell apart and they were so full of fear. It is amazing to me that the enemies of Jesus suspected or at least believed that maybe he will rise again in three days. But the followers of Jesus Christ didn't believe it at all. Isn't that amazing? And there they were in the upper room. They were all together all congregated together, didn't know what to do, where to go. They didn't know what the next step was. They just knew we got to hang somehow together. But every time they heard a step outside the door, they wondered, are these the soldiers that are coming now for us to do to us what they just did to Jesus? Scared to death until suddenly at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus suddenly appears before them in the room. And in John chapter 20, verse 19 and 20, Jesus came and stood among them and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Something amazing happened. Their fear was changed to confidence. Iron was put in their heart, power and strength because they had heard the voice of Jesus. There was a day in my life, I can still see what, when it was, what happened, in which I experienced the voice of Jesus. I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm not saying that. But there was this understanding for the very first time in my life of a differentiation of the voice of Christ versus the noise and the voices all around me. The presence of Christ. I grew up in a, in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor, for crying out loud. And I, and I understood all of these truths. At least I, at least I, I mentally had accepted them. But, but I remember the first time that it really became real in my life. And it's as though the voice of God in my heart... And I recognize the voice. I, 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 I remember what John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And for the first time in my life, I really experienced that moment of my life in which it became so real. There was a little girl that uh, about four years of age and it was nighttime and her mom put her to bed and you know how, especially little kids that age and it's dark inside the room and by themselves and, and it, was, it wasn't very long until they could hear her whimpering or crying and so the mom went back into the room and said, sweetheart, what is wrong? And she said, it's so dark in here and I'm all by myself and I'm scared and she said to her, no, we're, we're just right outside the door and, and I'll leave the door cracked. You can, you, you can see the light. We're right here by you. And her little daughter just kept crying. And, and then the woman, mom said, you know, I want you to know Jesus is in this room right now. He's here with you. 
And her daughter said, really? And she said, yes, he's right here. He's going to be right by you all the time, all night long. He will protect you. She kissed her daughter on, on her forehead and walked out the door, but kept the door cracked a little bit. And she heard her daughter say, Jesus, I know you are in the room, but if you say one word out loud, it's going to scare me to death. No, I don't hear an audible voice of God. But that, in vo that voice in the heart, I'm here, I'm with you, that muffles the sound of all the rest of the noise. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And what does he do in the midst of that? The Bible says in Isaiah 41, verse 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And behold, all those who are incensed against you will be confounded and ashamed. You'll look around and not be able to see them for they have scattered for I am the Lord your God and I will help you. When we come to, to take seriously the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our life, we recognize there's new beginnings in our life. He forgives us and cleanses. He gives us the power we need. He takes the fear away and brings confidence in its place. Hebrews 13, six, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I have no fear. What can mere people do to me? I'm asking you this morning, have you come to know Jesus as your savior? Have you accepted Jesus Christ in your life? And if you haven't, you can today. Those of you who are watching online, in just a few moments when I pray, after my prayer, there will be an opportunity for you to talk one-on-one, -on -one, real live person who will help you, a minister of our church help you know how you can know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. We'll show you how. Would you open your heart to that, giving your heart to Christ today? And maybe it means that, that, that God is speaking to you about becoming a member of our church, even though maybe you don't live here, but you can do that. How to take the next step in your life, that's what we want. And for all of you on any campus this morning, at the end of my prayer, we will share with you how you can go to a next step center. At the Sugarland campus, just right out these doors, across the commons area, you'll see it on the right-hand side, Next Step Center. Talk to one of our ministers about how you can know Jesus, how you could join this church, how you could take that next step in your life. Would you open your heart to this? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the historical event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its implications for our life. And oh God, I pray you would move in hearts today that are listening to this message and this would be the day of salvation in their heart. I'm giving my heart to Jesus. Move in hearts today to say yes to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.